Welcome to the Swim Swam Podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges, joining us today. He's an NCAA champion, NCAA All-American for the USC Trojans, and most recently, a member of the U.S. national team in bobsled for the 2022-23 season. Here to explain all of this and explain his exploits in the last couple of years athletically and professionally, hopefully, we're sitting down with Karsten Bissering. How's it going, man? Doing good. How are you? doing well. I'm, I'm excited to get answers because this article came out and everyone was just kind of like, wait, what? Yeah. Um, so so just first off, yeah, take us through this journey of, of how you got into bobsled, ultimately ending up on the national team uh, and, and, and why you are pursuing this uh, new sport now. Yeah. I mean, it's been a crazy journey. Um, I mean, a lot of it's been hard work, but to be honest, so many things that have just lined up were almost like fate or circumstance or luck. So a lot of those variables have been in my favor to help me land in exactly the position where I am today, which is on the uh, U.S. national team roster for 2022 to 2023. But to bring it back, I guess I don't want to bring it too far, but I'd say it really kind of started with the idea in my head. Um, the inception began in, uh, I'd say, junior to senior year of college at USC. And part of that came when I really experienced, like, um, I guess, significant improvements, not only in the pool as far as some of my times, but a big, I guess, um, variable or factor that I relied on for performance was the weight room. And that didn't, that doesn't just mean weights. Weights was a big factor, but plyometrics, explosiveness. Um, even when we we're in the pool, as we progressed from my freshman to senior year, the amount of distance I would do in season, of course, usually early on, we have higher degrees of volume that would shorten too, to the point where later on in my career, like sometimes a hard practice might be we do an X, Y, Z, I do warm up and then my set might be three fifties, three twenty fives, and then like three fifteens, but I'd get my parachute on and rip the core to like full coning as we'd call it, where you just have maximal resistance so there was just kind of like an evolution of my training. And I came from a high school club where yardage was very, very high in volume. I trained with Yuri Sugiyama, um, Bruce Gemmel, and uh, John Flanagan. And all of them, uh, Gemmel, he probably puts, I'd say like the 500 is like the foundation that practices kind of revolve around. With Yuri, he was a big fan of the 200 IM. Flanagan... He structured everything pretty much a lot of 400 IM centric workouts. So for the most part, volume was high. And once I got to USC and Dave's pretty renowned for it, but the volume dropped significantly. I uh, noticed increased performance in the weight room. It was during that time. And when we're in the summer competitions is a little bit different than short course. I was probably ramping up my power training, explosive training, and then it was during that time I I really, number one, saw improvements in that, was doing some research because when I was home training, I was Googling stuff about practices. I came upon something about, oh, top bobsled exercises. It led me to bobsled combine. 
by that time I, I was, it was like probably my junior year of college, I was hitting big numbers. So I was like, Oh, I want to see what I can do. What are some power workouts? I think I hit about 350 pounds in the clean by that time, uh, squatted 500 pounds, my junior, right before season, like junior year. So the, I, I was really into it. And sometimes, I mean, I loved our power exercises, but like the weight room would be one of my favorite times in the week. So I'd say that was when things really started. And then after my, I had a super senior year, my fifth year, um, not many people know this because I, uh, I got rid of some of my social media a little bit after graduating or during that time, I don't think I was active, but that year, so that was, what was it? That was like the year during when the pandemic started. Sorry, like the past two years are a little jumbled together, but during that that year, it was I just finished my swimming eligibility, but because of a study abroad uh, semester off, which I can touch on that because that was a big time of like weights training and um, the, my redshirt semester to train for trials in 2016. During that year, I was still a student, but I wasn't on the team. You know, I was doing a little bit of volunteer coaching with the team, tried to help with starts and stuff, which was a lot of fun. But it was just basically, I guess, my meathead year. I got super strong in weightlifting. I ended up getting up to like repping out 500 pounds in the back squat, like below parallel reps, so deep reps. And I just kind of maximized those numbers. And that kind of got me to this point where like, okay, well, I've hit these numbers. My athleticism is going down a little bit. I'm just kind of a meathead. Like, what's it going to go to? Like, it. I, I think it's just the natural athlete, me being a swimmer, being competitor my whole life. But I was like, something, I got to take it to the next level. I, I don't find just going to the gym and being a meathead is enough of a meaningful outlet for this. As fun as it is. And I met a lot of my good friends uh, literally in that fifth year, just from doing that from like the USC powerlifting club. But I, it, that kind of got me on on a path or on a search for what is what am I going to put this to? It, it seems to be a, more power. Like it felt it felt almost wasted if this was just going to be like uh, I was just going to be like a gym rat with all this stuff because I had a high vertical, I had a high squat. I was like, well, just it seems almost wasteful to not put this to something. And that's uh, when I started looking for for different outlets and I got into bobsled because I did a, a, a big evaluation. And and obviously, like the the elephant in the room is why didn't I like stick with swimming at the time? Because I was still talented in that. I could have continued. And I mean, I USC swimming was great. I had a great time the entire time. Like I loved every moment of it. I'm super close with a bunch of my teammates. It, it reinvigorated Um I wasn't no not near like burnout to the degree that I want to stop the sport, but I mean with the high yardage in high school morning workouts, I went to a pretty rigorous high school where they just demanded a high workload. I mean it was hard, um, and USC really revitalized that for me. I think the shakeup and training, something that catered to my talents a little bit more, or how I like to train. So that so that brought it back. But I was uh, at, after graduating my senior year, I was ready to be to, to move on to something. And I think this kind of kicked a new spark and something that I could put my drive to. And I mean, once I got back off the plane from NCAA's um, to USC, I think the next day I was in the weight room at USC, like maxing out my power snatch. So I was I was on it to like keep it going. And at that time, I, like I said, I was still focused on gym numbers, wasn't necessarily focusing on bobsledding. But so to to. What brought me to bobsledding was, okay, I had to look around. I was like, what is something that I could realistically get to a competitive level in? I mean, you can't like with with something like um, football or rugby, which is very power 
uh, like power is a huge component of the sport. And a lot of rugby American football athletes are incredibly powerful. I mean, you've got the skills component, which you just can't pick that up like that. Um, you develop like skills in, in ball sports over decades of playing them. Uh, I played club rugby at USC for a little bit, which was a lot of fun. I think I looked more intimidating than how good it actually was, but that was a good time to just play that. But when I when I really did uh, like my evaluation of, OK, for what's next, that's when I found Bob said is something that I've got the talents for it. One, like I've got strength, I've got explosiveness, speed, still something I'm working on. Even to this day, that's the top thing I need to improve on. But those are the critical importance of what you need for, to be a bobsled pusher. And then the skill curve, well, and, and I'll get into it when I talk about like pushing on ice, it's kind of like the 53. You'd think that like bobsled pushing is like, oh, someone can just grab a prowler sled and as hard as you drive into it. No, there's a big techno technical component and what makes like a whole degree of, of how you essentially push. It's not, that'd be like the same statement as like saying, oh, well, if you just like Tarzan drill, like the faster you spin your arms in a 53, the faster you're going to go. It's not necessarily the case. But so I say that to say there is a there is a skill curve, but however, that skill curve is completely different than like picking up a ball sport. So it was a combination of I had a drive to do something more. I had a lot of talent that I didn't want to go to waste. And I did an evaluation of where is something that I might be able to come in at a higher level realistically. I mean, saying, oh, I'm going to try out for the NFL or I'm going to be pro I don't know, uh, shot putter or something. Well, that unfortunately is kind of unrealistic in the time frame. I mean, once you're already in your mid twenties, you're already starting to get on the descending aspect of your ability to develop new sports skills. So I hope that kind of gives a basic run through. Definitely. That was a very thorough run through. Thank you. Um, for a couple follow-up questions before we get more into the bobsled aspect, was the ISL ever a consideration for you? I know you said you you wanted to be done after 2019 and C's, which I can't remember the exact timeline, but I think that's kind of when it was coming up. Did you ever, did you ever consider ISL or did you ever get approached to potentially join an ISL team? So I was never approached. Now, uh, to be fair, I didn't have social media, like I think mid 2020s when I cut it. So maybe that I wasn't, there's no way for them to contact me. But it's funny you said, because I mean, I talked with Dave uh, about after trials being like, well, I think I'm going to retire. But he would always be like, wait, 50 breasts. Maybe you should just go to some of these ISL meets and rip a 50 breasts. And that uh, I've got no opposition to. I talked actually, I had one of my good friends over last night and we were talking about this and uh, he was like, well, do you think of like, they made the 50 breasts like an Olympic event or something like that? You probably would have continued through. And I'm like, realistically, that's probably true. I, that probably would have extended my, my career in swimming after say they like made 50 breasts in the Olympic event. I would say that probably would have extended it. Um, earlier this year, I mean, I actually did. My dad is uh, probably like my, one of my biggest swim fans. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's a single meet, at least up until high school, uh, some college ones he was able to make you all the big championship meets, but he like never really missed a big meet, but he constantly will be in the back of like, well, random like, Hey, 50 breasts. Do you want to make a little, so I'm living in Los Angeles now, rent's expensive, food's expensive. He's like, Hey, why don't you go race some 50 breasts? So I, if ISL was like still, because I think it's like on hold right now or something, unfortunately yeah. the investor with Crane, because I, I did look into that. So my knowledge of that is 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 proof that it, it was on my mind and it wasn't ideas, but 
I do believe that if if there was an opportunity to, and I was talking to my dad, I said, well, I'd, I'd have to look at what their obligations are, what their requirements are and stuff. But I mean, if they, because right now bobsledding's everything, but I mean, I did a alumni relays and I think I did 23.5 in my 50 breast, which isn't too far from like a dual meet thing. My problem is I'd like dived in and went straight down. So I was, I was practicing in the pool, like, the day before and it's like my first time touching like a pool in like two years and I was like doing my I was like pushing up the wall and I can't remember I might be off it was like maybe like 12 seconds for like 25 breaths I was like oh so that's like what I remember going like before NCAAs but I forgot to practice to start and then I go in and I like feel myself go straight down with all my momentum lost so I'm like well if, if I can do that right now maybe a few like once or twice a week of brushing things off with all the power because I mean 50 breast is so power dependent I feel like of all swimming events the one that like can be maintained with like the lowest amount of like swimming would be the 50 breast compared to like everything else so I so to answer your question um if if a, if like a team was was flexible and was like, hey, if you just want to show up every once in a while to rip a fifty breasts and understand that I've got competing stuff, yeah, and absolutely, I'd be probably down to do something like that. And alumni really is a lot of fun. Nice. The, the, I mean, that sounds totally fun. Uh, we'll put the we'll put the word out to all the teams. Carson Vissering available for a fifty breast. Did you only do that one relay at the USC relays? Well, I would have done another one had I like, I just think I forgot. I, I, we didn't, we didn't, our relay didn't sign up for the uh, freestyle one. I don't want to call out the guys, but I think they were kind of tired just from the medley and they didn't sign us up. And I was like, oh, I'll be down. But I just, so yeah, we did a medley relay and then we had a freestyle one after. I had a lot of lactic acid after that 50 breaths. So I don't think that 53 would have been that remarkable. So. <laughs> What do you but, think you could go in like a fresh 50 free right now? Your freestyle is pretty good, right? You know, I was able to just like muscle through a 50 free and kind of get away with it um, a little bit, maybe a 20 point just because I'm still powerful. And I never it's not like for me, the diminishing factor of my of my 50 free was not the technique. It's not like, oh, I, I have relied on my technique to make me fast. I relied on my power. So the technique is diminished, but like that's not going to be the limiting factor. I actually, but I mean, I think Catherine Vogt and um, Yuri or Catherine Case, sorry, um, they they nicknamed my like freestyle stroke the gorilla stroke. And I, I, I literally at the end, I remember my senior year or junior year, I had a, a, a at the end of a Saturday practice, Alex Valente and I had a duel that was like uh, forced on us uh, in the well. Uh, 200 free to see who was the slowest freestyler on the team. <laughs> and oh, we no. both at the last second, but I just say that um, not to rip on Alex because he's like, he's got a lot of talent, but just to say that like my freestyle was just more of a thrash and just relied on power. So I, to answer your question, if I had to like do a 50 free right now, I think I probably wouldn't be that far off from what I did like in season, which I think was like 19 high. So probably fall like 20 point. Gotcha. Yeah. Nice. Um, okay. So let's, let's bring it back to bobsled. So you, you uh, do this evaluation of sports. You could realistically perform at a high level on you land on bobsled, then what, right? How do you, how do you go about pursuing bobsled at a high level? And what does that look like for you now that you've made the national team? Yeah. So, um, 
I'm going to do my best to answer like in as much depth as possible. However, this is really like my first year. Like I did my rookie camp at the end of August. So this is very, very new to me. So I'm going to do my best. So I might, you can look up some of the information online. A lot of it's publicly available, but I'm, like I said, so I'm going to do my best. I might get something a tiny bit wrong, but like I said, I'll do my best. So essentially there's a couple ways to get into the bobsled teams. If you say, oh, today I'm going to make my goal of getting on um, the Team USA roster at bobsled. So the first way is you have to do a combine, essentially. And it's similar to, you know how the NFL, they'll do their combines and pro data combines. The, for the bobsled combine, you do uh, a 45-meter sprint. However, that 45-meter sprint is broken up into four events. The, the whole combine is eight events, and each are 100 points. So kind of like a decathlon, essentially. So the 45-meter sprint, they take your 15-meter split. They take your 30-meter split, your 45-meter split, your 45-meter time, and then the 30-meter fly, which is that uh, split between your 15 and your 45, which typically gauges your top speed. And then you do um, the second part of the combine, which will be a underhand shot put toss, which is about 16 pounds. Uh, you do a standing broad jump. You do um, a power clean, one rep max, and then a back squat, three rep max. So those are the combine events. If you were to go to a combine, you do those and your score, based off of your score, will help determine your recruitability and your talent, essentially. Or you could do a combine like virtually, which is similar events. I think they just do the 40 meter, 40 yard dash, and you could put together like an athletic highlight tape. That's what I ended up doing, though I've done the full combine because regardless, at some point you have to do the combine because that basically puts, that becomes a recruitability tool and that affects your funding as an athlete if you score high enough uh, on the combine. So we'll we'll take, um, an, uh, we'll take an athlete, Joe, X. And so Joe X is doing the combine. He scored 700 points on the combine, which is those eight events. Then he'll get invited to rookie camp. And rookie camp is when you go out to Lake Placid at the Olympic Training Center. So the winter OTC is uh, actually in Lake Placid, New York, which is far upstate New York. It's a um, beautiful little town. If you ever go there for vacation, it's all lakes and forests and mountains. But that's where the winter sports train. So They've got dry land. They've got like a, it looks like on a little train rail, like a little pushed cart. And then they've got an ice house, which is, it's imagine like the refrigerated room in Costco where <laughs> there's a ice slope and a training cart and you can push down that and they take your time similar to swimming. They'll take your, your 10, 10 yard split and they'll take your 50 meter split. So essentially, so this will say Joe X who did good on his combine. He got invited to rookie push champs that's one week where they teach you how to push essentially every day is, uh, and they do it for skeleton athletes too, which if you don't know what skeleton is, that's a whole nother level of craziness. They basically are like solo bobsledders who go stomach down on these little trays and uh, ride head first down. So they do, they do the same combine. We're both governed by the same federation. So you go to rookie camp, you learn how to slide uh, on the carts, whether you're skeleton or bobsled. And then at the end of the week, you have um, the rookie push championships, which is where all the rookies compete in the ice house and the top performers from there may or may not get an invite into something called national push champs, which is typically held in the early fall. National push champs is something like the U S open for swimming. It's all prospective push athletes, whether they're rookies or Olympians go in and everyone does pushes on 
well, for when we did it and I had my first um, push champs about a month ago, we start with, a, we do the combine at the beginning because that's a recruiting tool. And then we do um, one day of individual pushing. So by ourselves on the push cart, uh, one day of combos. So two people on a push cart and then one day of triples. So three people pushing the ice cart. And that's basically to see who works with what they take consideration of like your velocity. The other thing about bobsledding, which I'll go into is that um, there's a certain, I guess, art or mathematics you have to do. For example, some athletes who might be bigger and stronger have a, are really fast out of the 10, but they might need someone who's a little bit faster to bring them down the slope. Well, um, so I just say that they do the combos to figure out who's got the best compatibility together. And that's national push champs from there. The pilots who they work with the coaches and a selection committee, but the co the pilots actually have a lot, have some input on who they choose their sled. And the pilots are essentially like mini captains. They do a lot of organization. They plan stuff. They'll choose who goes in their sleds. Uh, pilots, um, so oftentimes they own their sleds outright, which is very expensive. They'll cost between like 50 to a hundred thousand. But a lot of the pilots, um, they'll basically choose people from national push champs. They'll see your numbers. They'll see your combine scores. They'll put together their sleds. Uh, after that, a month later, they'll have something called uh, national team trials where all the sleds go against each other. And that's typically how they choose like USA 1, USA 2, I believe. Um, I can't touch up on that because this was like an unusual year where we didn't have a national team trials because there's uh, issues with the track. So, and I, I'll talk about like factors that favored me. So I didn't, I was named to the team without doing national team trials because we couldn't do it. We used the prior year rankings and we used individual pushing, combo pushing, and the combine score at a heavier weight than normal to help decide. So essentially that's the pipeline, um, how someone becomes a bobsled athlete. There's a lot of people who I wouldn't necessarily say they skip some of those steps. Um, they, cause they're already super athletic. Like for example, someone might be an elite decathlete. A lot of decathletes have a lot of success in the sport. They might get directly invited or have like a quicker pipeline say, Hey, how about you come out here, see how you push and they'll get straight right into it that way. So that's, that's a typical pathway. You either combine for it NFL style, which you can basically Google and you can find out whether you do it virtually or they're held around the country. Or sometimes some athletes, typically those with track backgrounds, sometimes get actively recruited by the Federation. Why would a decathlete be more fitted or, or, or why do decathletes typically ha have a have are more common and that's in this sport? bobsledding yeah so i mean you can i guarantee if you go through like a lot of people who i mean there's people all over the sport i'd say the bulk or track and football but for some reason just the athletes i don't know if it's the high adaptability they have just from being arguably some of the most well-rounded athletes in track and field or is it because they've got that great combination of just force production where they're able to just apply a lot of their force into their steps efficiently along with enough of a speed to get the sled going i mean pushing you have to be fast to do it but there's it's um it's interesting is that it's like it requires a certain amount of speed with a perfect amount of force production with a perfect amount of strength and you have you, I, I don't know the answer but there just seems to be a lot of the athletes who just have very very quick ascensions into the sport who pick it up quickly and they just can hit the sleds and push really well I would probably say just because they're athletes who are not only very fast. I mean, we had a guy, a uh, guy in my rookie camp who came out to me with national push champs. He got 
So I, I got first at my rookie push champs and he was right behind me, but he was much lighter than me, but wicked fast. I think he runs about like a 10, three, 10, 400 is a decathlete, which is very fast. So he's got the speed, but being that they have to do jumping and throwing, they've got a lot of hip extension power. So I think maybe it's some combination of those two that decathletes uniquely develop from a very young age. Gotcha. Uh, okay, so you slipped this in there casually. You did a virtual um, combine or a virtual tryout, and then you went to the rookie champs and you won. Yes. How, how many people were at this rookie champs that you took first place in? I'd have to see. Um, they We had it over two weeks. So like we had my group that was maybe like five guys trying out for bobsled, a handful of guys doing skeleton. And then the week before was maybe five or six guys so I'd say I think like maybe somewhere between like 10 to 12 guys total. And then that was rookie. So I won for both weeks because um, we could see they had a spreadsheet on both scores. Um, the guy who got second to me, uh, who's, who's become like a good friend of mine on the team so far, he got invited to national push champs. So I think me and a guy from the last rookie camp, um, so two people from my rookie camp and from two people from the week prior went to national push champs. But yeah, so I ended up um, winning uh, my rookie camp, which was a big, um, I guess, su- surprise. You know, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, you have, no one in the group had ever pushed on ice before. And um, there was, I, I, I could see through the virtual combine what some of the scores or some of the stuff that people who are going to the rookie camp had put up. And some of them were very competitive athletes. I mean, one of them, a guy who I'm who I'm friends with, and he's going to be sliding this season. I mean, he did a pause back squat with like 500 pounds with like a three second pause. He'll elevate it. Another guy, I saw him like jumping over 60 inch hurdles on his YouTube. So, I mean, I knew the field was going to be stacked with freak athletes. I mean, everyone in on the team are just unbelievable athletes. Mm-hmm. But uh, so to, to win that was was really exciting for me. And that I didn't know for sure, but I was like, okay, this will probably get me to national push champs time to start working on my speed time to take things to the next level. But that was pretty much, that was the rookie camp experience. Uh, if you have anything more you want me to touch on? What was your score for your, uh, for the, the combine? Oh, for the combine. Oh, so I did pretty high. So you typically want so we had like a b and c standards and a lot of things are new because usa bobsled combine is completely like resetting um or redoing their recruit their their, i guess their development standards so we just built a new timing system in the ice house so they're using that they're using ice house as like a b and c as the real standards and they're slowly starting to phase out the combine for like development or national team athletes, they're still keeping the combine for people who are trying to get recruited. Mm-hmm. So, but it, it's still a talent. So this year was the last year we did the combine. It's out of 800 points. You want to basically hit uh, above 700 is the B standard and that gets you funding. Um, above 740 is the A standard. And that is pretty elite. If you can do 740, like you're a pretty freaky athlete. So I did 712, I think. I could have done more. The reason why is we the way the combine works is it's two days before individual pushes. So it's like if you had to do a weight room max out two days before like Olympic trials, you'd be like, uh, I'm going to hold back a little bit. So it's a you, you try to hit, get as high as you can while like minimizing 
um, the amount of fatigue that you'll accumulate for individual push champs. So I did good in mine. I, the first event, like first event is those, the four running events. You run a 45 and they take your splits on it. My weakness is running. However, I did good enough where unfortunately I did the math. There was no way I was going to get 740. I think if I had gotten like hundred percent, I'd get like maybe 726 is my score. Okay. So I did that. Um, bear in mind the, the running is with, uh, a rocking start. So you start like half a meter behind the block in the two point start and you roll into it. So you, it's equivalent to like a relay start basically versus like a three point start off the blocks. So you get a little bit more, but uh, the only split that I could say is going to be like understandable to people would be the, they took a 40 yard split of that just for the sake of everyone. I don't know why they did it. Cause that's usually not, but with a rolling start, my 40 yard dash was 4.49. Um, if I were to do it NFL style, it'd probably be like high 4.5s, maybe a low 4.6, um, just because that rolling start just gives you a little bit. And then uh, I'd say if you want to get like perfect score on the running, like you have to be like running like in the 4.4s four or lower, <laughs> which some guys are perfectly capable of. But like for me at 235, that's a little hard to do. And then I did the, um, we did the shot, underhand shot with toss. I got almost perfect score on that. I did the um, standing broad jump. We we in the bobsled, you actually go off blocks. It's like maybe two inches high. So I jumped off like a two inch so my toes could hang. But my standing broad jump was 11 foot six on that, uh, <laughs> which my best is like in the low. I think it's like 11 threes, like my best standing one. Um, power clean. And I, I, I had gotten all the points I needed to do at this point to be above 700. So I just kind of coasted, but then I just did like a 315 power clean. And then I did like a 405 squat triple, but that was like pretty modern. <laughs> I don't want to sound like obnoxious, but that was like taking it easy for me. So yeah, I like took those because I was like, I was like, I'll be above 700. I was too slow to be above 740, which would like be really nice to get. So I just kind of coasted those two enough. I moved enough weight so it doesn't look like you're like disrespecting everybody because everybody else, they're lifting weights. And I think they would, everyone knows that like we're going to push individually. So if you like just cut that out super easily, it wouldn't look good either. So I had to be wary of that. But I mean, there's, I had my buddy who, um, so the max score on the power clean is 335 and the max score on the squat is like, 440 and one of my buddies who ended up winning the push competition he had like uh his weight on the ground for a clean and it looked like he just picked it up to standing like didn't if you've seen people in the clean they'll catch it like deep he just like picked up the clean to front rack and like racked it on the rack and i was like oh martin's like warming up he must have like i don't know like 90 pounds in the bar he had like 335 on so it's like all right <laughs> so there's and he was just like for him it was like oh we gotta get 150 clean just put on the weights on the ground rack it up like put it back on the rack like instantly so there's just absolute monsters so i finished towards like the i'd say probably middle tier as far as like the combine enough to get my points but typically if you're like above 700 i mean the closer to 800 that's great but i'd say the so usa one which is the top tier guys and those are the top four pushers i mean pretty much all of them like if they feel like if they go well over 740 on their scores interesting okay so so you get a 712 you know you you get to the rookie push champs you win that first of all you said if you hit above the b cut which is 700 on that combine you get funding what does that look like yeah so um sorry to clarify so that that um that combine that i so i did a virtual combine to get into rookie camp Mm -hmm. 
And then I did rookie camp, uh, one rookie camp, go to national push champs. They had me do the eight event combine at the beginning of national push champs for everyone who wasn't an Olympian. So I did that a little bit after, and that was two days before individual pushes. That's kind of why some people will get as high as they can while holding back a little bit to hit the score. So funding, I mean, here's the thing that's tricky about the sport. I mean, there's Bob said's like our coach was like reading, I could get the date, the the numbers wrong, but it's like one of the most expensive Olympic sports, period. I mean, sleds cost between fifty to a hundred thousand dollars. I was talking with my pilot uh about logistics. I'm like, hey, what meets or competitions are we looking to go to? There's some stuff in Europe. He was like, Well, we're probably gonna rent a sled out there because shipping our sled in total is gonna be about twenty thousand dollars. That a lot of it we'd have to divvy up. So uh, a funded and unfunded. I mean, this is some stuff that like, I'm still a little iffy on. I might get some things on, but I mean, some athletes, um, people more on the development team. So development team is like a tier below national team. Those are people who are on perspective, who are prospective national team athletes. They're sliding, they're going to races. They're doing everything the same, pretty much. They just do North America cup, which is like domestic races. National team will go world cup and then world champs or Olympics if it's the Olympic year. But um, USA 1, our, our USA 1 sled, they've got like full travel funding. USA 2, we don't have the same degree of funding. So when I say funding, that's like assistance. Like I might be, I need to be fact-checked on this, but to, from my point right now, and I'm meeting, having a Zoom call with my pot, I believe that's kind of funding assistance on travel, food, some of the other expenses that add up so much in the sport. I mean, our coach joked, it's a blue collar sport. Uh, when we're on competition, a lot of everyone who's there, like the push athletes, you assist with maintenance of the sled. Um, you assist with moving the sled up, walking it up just because expenses for the sport are super high. I mean, uh, Bob sled costs as much as like a luxury car. So that's typically what I'm referencing and why some people try to strive to get higher numbers or land on a higher sled because I mean, there's not a lot of money. There's a, there's a little bit and it is very, very carefully allocated. You're held to a very high standard. It's very easy for you to get knocked out fast in the sport. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's intense in that way, but that's typically what I'm referencing. And yeah. Yeah. So then <clears throat> moving forward, you know, you mentioned some races in Europe, but what what does the next year look like in terms of training, competition, and any goals you might have for this now that you're on the national team? Yeah, so I mean, I've never done a bobsled run in my life yet. This is like an unusual thing for me because we didn't we weren't able to do national team trials. So normally you'd have to do national team trials. That's when I would have done my first runs to have been named. Um, so I've, I've yet to be in a bobsled yet and do a run. I've just been in the ice house or the drylands track. So, I mean, I'm doing my best to be as humble as I can and say what I end and say realistically where I'm at. Um, but going forward, I mean, it's really about performing to the highest degree I can. I mean, there is some things that, um, I wouldn't say nerves, but that, that I kind of keep me going and that at the end, well, at the end of the day, I mean, I came into a a spot I'm, I'm on the lower tier of the pool as far as the eight people who were chosen and between me and a bunch of other guys it was incredibly close I had no idea who it could be there's six other guys who my spot could have easily gone to and they would have done exceptional so 
I'd say the thing is, is, is basically trying to meet the expectations. Um, and because to be honest, like a, a gamble was taken on me. I've never been on a bobsled run before. They had to essentially choose me knowing that I've don't quite have the race experience as some of the others. And that's a big expectation to kind of carry in a, I wouldn't say a burden, but uh, something that motivates me to say, okay, I got to answer and make sure that I fulfill um, the gamble and the expectations that was placed in me. Cause at the end of the day, like I said, I've never gone down a run, a big fear that people have. And they, uh, like someone specifically told me, and I was like, we, it, it is a concern because we have people who they do their first bobsled run and they never do it ever in their life. They say that is not something that I ever want to do again. And so it's, uh, and, and when I talked about like the circumstances, I mean, I had a good combine score compared to some of the other guys. I'm that weighed uh consideration into me getting named the, to the roster for this year and the other factors but going to answer your question i mean we've got we're our sled is we actually have a meeting tomorrow morning where we're going to discuss kind of our plans of what competitions for sure we're doing um lake placid new york world cup we're going to do the uh, Park City, Utah World Cup, and we're going to do our best as we can get good rental gear to go to world championships in St. Moritz, that's in Switzerland, possibly a few World Cups in Europe shortly after, I think one in Eagles or Eagles, Germany, I might, that might be the name of the track or the location, I could be mixing it up, but, um, and maybe one North America Cup race in Park City, but uh, training and competition for me personally, everything is a little bit subjective to who the athlete is for me. I know what I need to work on. Um, it's pretty much getting my speed up. I mean, I've got decent speed, but it, it, it's got to get higher to be, for me to be able to maintain my spot, maintain my performance and ultimately getting sliding experience. I've got to go back to Lake Placid. I know I've been flying from East coast to West coast on like a weekly basis, which is fatiguing, but I'm going back to Lake Placid this Sunday for a performance push camp. Um, that I'm gonna, we're gonna try to get our, uh, my pilot's gonna try to get his bobsled on the ice track, and it's just really gonna get that repetition of loading into the sled, uh, getting comfortable running on ice, running down the slope, which is uh, typically my weakness, um, and that's gonna be everyone's who, if you've not, because I mean, imagine like running super fast and. If you're not super comfortable as a runner, might not have as have developed being a swimmer, you might not develop that like bodily proprioception to the same degree as some other athletes. But jumping on a sled, a step that's like that big on a moving sled and jumping to a one that's going super fast with a bunch of other guys. I mean, that's something that I've just got to get my time um, to handle. But I would say to answer your question, I mean, it's basically getting my speed up is a personal goal of mine. And the nice thing is there's no shortage of guys on the team willing to help or guys who are fast. I mean, Manteo Mitchell, who was a silver medalist in the four by 400 relay for team USA is on my sled. So in competition, we'll, and this is according, cause I've never been on a competition. Like I said, try to stay humble with what I can, can't say, but um, I, I, speaking to my pilot, it's like, well, Airbnb a place work out in the morning, gym in the morning, might take the sleds down a couple runs, one or two, uh, the problem with it, it's not like bobsledding is not like bobsledding down like a hill. It'll beat your body up pretty badly. So you, you have to be conscious of that. So, but I mean, I've got plenty of people who are super elite in track who probably will be of good help. I'm working on running. And then the other part of like my training would be really getting uh, comfortable running down the, the ice slope and loading into the sled, which is the tricky part, but nothing that repetition won't fix. Yeah. So 
in terms of a day-to-day lifestyle, certainly within this next year, you, uh, you mentioned it, you're living in Santa Monica right now. Uh, is, is training full-time? Are you, is this something you're doing, you know, you're putting all of your eggs into, or are you still working or do you have a job? You know, what, what is your day-to-day going to look like? Yeah. So this is, and I, I, I'm trying to do this to address kind of like the history and what got me into it. Because like I said, to be honest, I've yet to compete. I've yet to go on a bobsled. I still have a lot of questions of what my career is going to look like over the next year. I I'm probably best answering like the why and the how (laughs) I've gotten me to here. But to answer your question, um, I'm, I just started my, my new job. I'm working at Ernst and Young, which is a big accounting firm. And, uh, I'm working based out of the Los Angeles office, but training, I was, uh, after USC, I went back home to Maryland. I uh, finished my master's degree at George Washington University. I was working at the executive office of the mayor, so DC City Hall. And I was working um, in an office called the Office of the Deputy Mayor for Operations and Infrastructure. So a lot of the work I was doing was basically uh, budgetary tracking of a lot of the federal uh, ARPA, sorry, federal fund, federally funded projects like ARPA uh, that were coming into the city to basically help with COVID. And we were using some of that money to fill into some of um, whatever infrastructure projects. So that was what I was doing for work. Uh, I don't want to go too much into that because I'm sure it's going to bore a lot of people out here on the bombs. And so I'm, I was like trying to cut myself off. I was like, don't talk about infrastructure projects for 30 minutes. But that's essentially what I was doing before. And uh, during that, it was luckily I was doing my master's classes in the evening. Uh, I was interning during the week. Um, I was like 25 hours during the school year. And then in the summer, I went to 40. So I still had time to manage for as far as training and stuff. I typically go to the gym um, in in the, t- the split time I could outside of I would work at like an Olympic lifting gym, uh, do my clean squats and plyometrics. So I fit it in with that. But right now I'm. To, to be honest, uh, like I said, it was early August is when I did my first rookie camp. I got named to the national team early last week. This is all very new to me. Uh, I got my job in advance. I'm working out with my managing director, how we're going to make this work. A lot of people on the team work nine to fives um, and they, they'll just have to work remotely when they do their travels. I've got, like I said, the, the people at EY have been pretty supportive and pretty incredible. So it sounds like it's going to work, but that unfortunately this is all new how I'm managing. I, I luckily enough, there's going to be, there's guys who do successful nine to fives on the team and they just learn to work around it and manage it. And I'm sure I'll just take notes from any one of them and do my best to make it work. And I think I'm lucky enough to have a company that so far has been pretty supporting. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that that's great context to that you provided. Um, you know, just the, the fact that a lot of the other guys on the team have nine to five jobs. Um, cause again, you know, coming from the, the swimming sphere, don't know how bobsled works, uh, pretty much at all, but super exciting to hear about you starting this journey. Um, I I'm certainly looking forward to following you in whatever way we can. Uh, I do have a few more questions that are more swimming related. You mentioned, uh, yeah. So you mentioned NCAP, which is the, your club team you grew up on. You mentioned Yuri, John Flanagan and Bruce Gimmel. What, what was your training situation like? You know, did you, did you train with all three of them? Did you have a certain site you would go to? 
who is your primary coach growing up? Yeah, of course. So my primary coach growing up, well, I would say, I guess in the beginning of maturity, I mean, I had great, so I was at RMSC, uh, Rockford Montgomery County Swim Club from a young age, and I had great coaches there who all played a big role in my development. I don't want to discount any of those people, even coaches who coach me in the eighth, because they all play a big role. Um, however, I'm just going to, because we're talking about NCAP, I moved to NCAP when I was about 13. Um, I, I was working, I was coached by Yuri Sugiyama up until sophomore year, until Yuri left to take the job at, uh, become an assistant coach at UC Berkeley. And I had a great relationship with Yuri. Um, I mean, I love that club. I had some of my best friends in my life today are from that club. I attended a wedding of one of my buddies from that club, uh, saw one of my friends, Grant Goddard, swam at Harvard. I mean, so that was uh, a big, uh, like, a, like a definitive years for me. And then after Yuri took the job at Cal, um, Bruce Gemmel became our coach. He was my coach from sophomore year, senior year. I switched to Flanagan and I was training with Salisgar and John Shabbat at that club. And I mean, all these clubs are almost equidistant to each other. And we did a lot of joint practices with some of the clubs and stuff. But I would say that was the breakdown 13 to sophomore year with Yuri, sophomore year to senior year to junior year with Bruce, and then senior year to summer, like before college with Flanagan. And all those were great in their own ways for developing me. They had different approaches and stuff, but I'd say all were complementary. They just had different focuses, which I'd say with Yuri, he was all about banging out Janet Evans sets and ripping 200 IMs and the annual swim and run, which was uh, always a good time. Uh, Bruce definitely developed uh, your, your endurance capacity. He was a big fan of like colors and kind of basically developing your ability. I, I think I would say he probably structured things around like the 500 free is like a model. I mean, maybe if he was here listening, he could probably correct that better, but at least from my memory, that's how I would say. And then Flanagan, um, I, he'd like, he was very like four IM centric and stuff. And, and that's to a certain degree what some of the sets would be around. So any, if you have any questions in particular, I can ask, but that was pretty much how I trained with, uh, through high school. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you got the full gambit of, oh, of yeah. uh, famous in cap coaches, which is oh, really cool. Definitely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, so then you, and you mentioned this earlier, I remember talking to you about it. I think it was your senior year, but you did a semester in Australia what, during your time at USC, um, to, to get even more coaching experience. Um, and we, we, we touched on it, but, um, I'd love to dive into that and just, again, why you thought that would be a good thing for you and what ended up happening for you athletically, um, during that semester. Cause I know you did some outside the box things just uh, outside of swimming there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the misconceptions is like that I like didn't touch a pool at all. And I just, that's, um, that was not the case. And I probably would have like <laughs> coming back if that was I, but there, it was unconventional. So, I mean, I was in like a, uh, like, uh, essentially I was in the major at the time that I'd switched later on, but it required like a semester abroad. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just knock this out fast. Like first semester junior year, there's not many big races as long as I stay in shape. I mean, 
Salo gave a lot of independence at practices. Like I said, I mean, I, I can't, we would do X, Y, Z, a lot of stuff where you choose your own distance, choose your intensity. Obviously, there are some things where Dave would just be overwatching and looking at your stroke or your pacing. There'd be some things where he'll give you the flexibility to. So I proved both in my race results and how I did a practice that like, okay, when I'm doing my, my race stuff or like my practice stuff, I'll take that seriously and go fast. So there already was a level of trust established that I would come back and deliver the results. And um, I kept, took that seriously. I did not want to let down Salo. I was given a huge amount of responsibility and, and, and I guess privilege to do so. I even had nightmares when I was in Australia of me like drowning on a 200 breast. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to let that happen. So <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like a real thing. I would like close to was like, Oh my God. Like, up. Oh, like call my no. friend up. I was like, let's go hit the 175. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was like an established relationship that allowed me to do that, I think is why. I mean, obviously these things are subjective decisions. It's going to vary athlete to athlete. When I went to Australia, you know, I was at, uh, I was at the University of Queensland, but I stayed at something called King's College, which is like a hybrid of like a dorm and a frat. So it's associated with the university, but it's like, independent have you seen like the hogwarts movies or no sorry harry potter so they've got hogwarts and then they've got the houses it's like the house system so mine was like 300 guys it was very athletic like um most guys there played a sport i mean it's australia so most people play rugby some people played afl but i was with a group of guys who i was very close with who were like super athletic took fitness seriously like almost every day we had a pool we had a gym every day was training um, so I had guys who they weren't necessarily elite level swimmers at the time. I contemplated actually swimming for UQ and going to their like university games and stuff. But I like pulled out last second because I was like, oh, shoot, I'm going to lose eligibility if I do that because that's competing for another team. So I was like, oh, man, well, that goes because everyone I had a bunch of friends who are athletes. They're like, oh, come to this like meet. It's like a great time. Like everyone goes athletes of all sports. So I was like pumped for that. But I was like, oh, man. So I was like. I have to be careful with that because I don't want to come back and say, hey, sorry, you just ended your eligibility by your scholarship. So, but I played uh, intramural water polo with friends that kept me in shape. I had friends who wanted to swim regularly. They didn't, they they grew up doing swimming. So I remember going to the pool with some people and they didn't necessarily go fast, but they still want to rip like 10, 100s at like a certain pace. But I joined uh, an Olympic weightlifting club that was coached by the Australian Olympic coach. And that was also that, that was what developed me as like a weightlifter, really, and going there and getting the programming and bringing my squad up. And then I was just super active. Um, and Australians in general are just super like their idea of fun is always going outside, throwing around a rugby ball, doing something. So it's just if you want to be go to study abroad and be lazy, not do anything, don't do that experience because you're not going to get that. So that when I say unconventional, it was there was a degree of swimming, there's a degree of maintaining my fitness in the pool, maintaining my power. However, I think obviously the amount of yardage was dropped from me from say if I was swimming like 30 hours a week, like as per usual. But uh, it wasn't like that hole was filled with lying on the couch and eating junk food. That would be okay, we're going to increase plyometrics. Oh, we're doing more sprinting. Oh, I'm spending three days a week working on my Olympic weightlifting skills. So I do think that that played a role in really kind of breaking my window or breaking some barriers as an athlete. I mean, obviously 
I'm not a sports scientist, so I don't want to be like quoted by anything, but I think like everyone's got their windows in certain things. And I always viewed plyometrics and strength training as a way to wait, raise your window and can kind of break you out into that next category as an athlete. And I think that's what my experience in Australia did for me. And I mean, looking back on it now, Australia being with Dave Salo, the amount of the type of training we did, the style of training, I love the weight room. I mean, I had a, our head coach joke at Bob Sling rookie camp was walking by and he was telling us like being an athlete, like, um, he was like, don't think about it. You've all been training for this your whole lives. And he pointed me, except maybe you, but like thinking back on it now, I think I was training for it longer than I was. And I think these events, these experiences, they kind of helped build the road to get me to where I was today being the international bobsled team roster. Way to bring it full circle, man. Uh, I mean, I think, I think that's, that's all the questions I have. I think that's a great, uh, a stopping point for us. Karsten, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and, and really dive deep into this whole journey that you have just started. Um, do you have any parting thoughts for our audience before we sign off today? Oh, nothing really. I mean, one thing I, I would say is like, and this sounds so cliche, but like, do, do whatever these things are that like sound crazy to you that like, you might even be like kind of reluctant to like even tell a family member about. I remember um, someone was like telling me uh, one of my girlfriend's friends and super sweet girl, but she was saying like, Oh, my mom was like talking to me. She was like, wait, she was so surprised you made the national team. She's like, I take back what I said. Like, I, two years, a year and a half ago, you two years ago, I thought he was like joking or making that up. So, I mean, it sounds cliche, but I mean, like there's these ideas that sound crazy or sound goofy or like when some people might hear you say, oh, this is what I want to do. And they'll be like, ah, oh, like, are you serious? Are you taking that seriously? Like, you never know. You just got to go for it and then it, it'll pan out and then <laughs> you can have the last laugh, not in the way of like getting back. And, and no one really ever doubted me. But like I said, is I think it when I said it two years ago without having anything on paper, they'll be like, are you serious about that? And uh, the last thing, and I mean, I need to work on it, but a huge thing um, that really made the difference in me pursuing this was like the support of athletes who I reached out to who are on the bobsled team, um, whether I would DM them or ask for a phone call. Like I was mind blown how many were like, Hey, I'll talk to you. We'll talk about this. Uh, When I was, done swimming I it was funny like I got a bunch of like I would get it was like a weird thing like I met a bunch of people who were like swimmers or former swimmers and a bunch of them were like oh you're Carson Visserang like it wasn't like necessarily about my swimming it was like oh you got me into doing plows or box jumps or heavy weightlifting. so it's like I do wish like if anyone sees this I wish I could still have an avenue to like if anyone wants any support to say it unfortunately I don't have social media right now but I'm probably gonna bring something back but the other thing is like, I mean, if anyone has any questions, if you like have even the slightest idea of like, oh, this is something I want to do, or you've got, you like doing this in the weight room and stuff or whatever, like feel free to ask. I'll pretty much answer anyone. And I enjoy those questions always. Last question. We had a comment on the article uh, about you being named to the national team. I think it was about you uh, doing track your senior year of high school and winning a state title in the in the high jump or long jump. <laughs> yeah, so I saw that comment. And I've got. I'm sorry if you don't have time, but I want to touch on some of the comments because that's something I wanted to say. Because I've got some. If you've you got the time, so yeah, I'll, t- I'll touch on that one first. So I mean, um, you know who Davy Crockett is, right? 
like the, yeah. the, the western the, hero who like coon skin guy the guy he like jumped the mississippi river and i was like talking to my brother i mean legends are things that like expand over time and the little these little feats become crazy things like maybe historically davy crockett jumped over like a 10-foot creek which is still athletic and then through the game of telephone it became the mississippi river I did do like two or three meets. Like I just, for fun, like I, I had a big jump even since high school. I remember like, I think I jumped like just under five feet, like box jumps when I was in high school or like 55 inches or something like that. So like a, one of the coaches like, Hey, just lace up some shoes, put a singlet on, like rip some high jump, long jump with me. And I did that. And I did not unfortunately win a state high jump, long jump title, but I did some meets, had some fun with it. Uh, I think I like did right under six foot in practice and high jump was like, okay, but like not anything that would win like the state title. I could be wrong on that, but that's what I think I remember in practice. It wasn't uh, meets were a harder time, but that's the answer to that. And I don't want to like uh, sidetrack too much, but I mean, like it, I was in Australia and I swam the Brisbane river, which is where our like campus, which no one should do. I'm pretty sure it's illegal and they're bull sharks and it's like the most polluted river ever, but don't do it. Uh, we were kind of, I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but there was challenges to do so by an unnamed source. So I swam the Brisbane river and, um, at the time, like I was trying to bulk up and because I was so active during the time, it was hard for me to preserve my weight and keep muscle. So I would drink like shots of coconut oil just to get the calories, you know, mm -hmm. oils, coconut oil is dense in calories. My buddy was visiting me from college. He said they were like basically telling all these uh, freshmen or people like, hey, here's the challenges. Swim across the river. Two years ago, this big American came over, walked to the pier, slammed a whole bottle jar of coconut oil, swam across the river and back. I'm like, so that's how I view it. It's like, it just took one thing for like, oh, the challenge is now like, oh, I was, I swam the rib river and back. And then I like was taking shots of coconut oil like that much in the morning. And then two years later, it's, I'm like chugging jars of coconut oil before doing it. I think that's kind of what happened with that comment. Someone probably heard that I had done like a couple like high jump or long jump meets and then involved in that, which I thought was funny. I was I always laughed at the comments. And the other thing that made me laugh was someone commented like, turned in breast, thumbs down or like bobsled thumbs up. I was messaging my buddy. I died laughing. I don't know who made it, but someone made a meme like my senior year. And they posted like my 200 breasts. First of all, I had like mega cramps, like the size, like if you were like, you could probably like break ice on like my quads, like on my 200 breasts, my like, cause I did not, I got drug tested after my relay um, before at NCAAs. And I, my pee was so diluted because when I'm nervous, I keep chugging water. So it was so diluted for the drug test. I was in like the drug testing room past like 12 and 12 at night. And I was, people were bringing me food to like dilute my urine so they could actually be tested. And so I just got no sleep. Like I pulled almost, I think I pulled like an all nighter. I was so depleted because I didn't have time to eat anything really, except for the few snacks they brought in. And I got like the worst cramps of all time when that turned to breasts I've ever felt. And so I like tanked that time. I think I had like, I don't know, 30 something or like it was a, the place was not where my hundred was. And someone <laughs> made a meme. It was like, <laughs> posted my my 50 breasts was like the fastest it was like a 22 8 or something and then they posted a screenshot of my 200 breasts and they're like when you skip 200 breast workouts to post instagram videos of box jumps 
<laughs> so, so that's that. And then I saw like the comment. I'm like, it's three years later. Like it's still a meme by 200 Breaststark. I love how it's got like 90 likes. So like people, it's still relevant. So I like messaged my buddy, my teammate. I'm like, I love how like my 200 breasts, because like obviously my teammates joked around about it. I like, I was like, I love how my 200 breasts from senior year is still a meme. It's like you're a hero of the people. So <laughs> that's something I like. I took notice of that and that gave me a good laugh. <laughs> That th there were some good comments on this. That one was great. Uh, my other favorite one was someone saying four words, black mock turtleneck bobsled. Oh, yeah, that one was funny. And then someone was like, don't give Sean so many ideas. <laughs> oh, like, unironically, I don't know if he's watching this. I'm, I haven't been in touch with him in a long time. But like, that is a total Santo thing to like, do this like right after. So like, if he like goes out and tries out, I would not be surprised at all. But uh, the funny, funny story about Santo, like my, my senior year, um, or maybe it was junior year, Santo was just kind of getting himself in better shape. I think he was a little bit, uh, his body composition was not quite the degree he wanted it to be at that time. So he was like, he was counting me, he's like, I'm going to copy everything you eat all the time. <laughs> I'm like, all right, sure. So I like, we were in our dining hall, we come back from practice, and I sit down and I like, sit down and I've got like three chicken breasts and stuff like some like fruit on the side and he comes over and he's got like waffles or pancakes covered with like maple syrup and stuff he like sits down he like looks at my place like damn it walks away throws away his food comes back with like three chicken breasts sits down right in front of me and then we were in um he missed a dual meet and I'll tell you why we were in the weight room doing like dumbbell bench press and I think I was using like the, the 95s or the 100s with like the red band on it. And I'm like doing it. And he like walks over to me because we have to share the benches. And he's holding like 70s and he sees my 95s and he drops his. And he's like, give those to me now. And I'm like, I'm like, did you warm up? And he's like, no, no, just give them to me. He does it like tears his bicep. <laughs> Like, arms like, no. So I laughed at that comment because I'm like, I would not be surprised if I get a message from Santa be like, hey, I'm on the Canadian bobsled team now. See you in Utah. Like that would be, that would not surprise me at all. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. <laughs> that's just so good. I will, I'll never forget the, the Black Mock Turtlenecks from 2018 NCAAs. That was like one of my favorite visuals from that meet. Cause like, you know, you had Caleb going 17 at that meet. Like that, that was a crazy meet, but like you guys on the podium, the USC tuner medley relay, like you and Santo and Glenta and number four, uh, like in the black turtlenecks was like, this is such a, this is such a look. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was, that was, uh, profound. And I was laughing with a friend and we like just out touched Cal on that, but he was like, you guys are so lucky you won. Cause that would have not looked good if you did not win and you had the audacity to go out in the black turtleneck. So <laughs> I didn't even think about that before the race, but I'm like, oh man, it is so good. We pulled that up with that. I'd say that relay is like definitively like bar none, like my greatest experience in swimming. Like that was an unreal night. Um, the energy in that, that was just truly incredible. And yeah, the black turtlenecks was funny. I think we were actually also considering Gucci flip-flops as well. <laughs> we were like, we were like, cause we got like a certain amount of money. I think like we got like 185 or something like that. 
and and we could like use it however we wanted i think the women's team did like shoes or something like that before i don't know where we got the idea but we had a lot of like free reign what we could put it to and i think it was like dylan carter was like we're gonna get gucci flip-flops for the men's team no money for any other gear no hoodies nothing just gucci flip-flops and i was like but um i think i think we ended up selling on the turtleneck we were originally going to do them actually in cream color but i think we decided last second for the black which is good because it looks better and the funny thing if you go inside like usc's athletic heritage hall where they've got all the trophies and the photos of the football players and uh, all that stuff like in the corners like me santo dylan and uh Glint, like in our turtlenecks i'm like oh my god i'm so glad that the turtlenecks is like worthy and like the trojan hall of fame so that was that was epic and i, I think it was dylan's idea santo went around went around went along with it probably had other crazy ideas as well that just were never vented but that yeah that was an, an incredible time you've been listening to the swim swam podcast stay tuned for new episodes every week you can take swim swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.